0: Hello, good evening, welcome to Eyewitness News Live from our studios at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka in Accra. My name is Salom Adonu. Tonight I'm here with...
2: Nashika Caesar.
0: Coming up over the next 90 minutes, uh, individual bondholders have petitioned Parliament to intervene as they push for exemption from the debt exchange uh, program as time rounds out for both government and the bondholders as the January 16 deadline approaches. Also coming up.
3: The minister has given the directive. The expectation is that the Ghana Education Service, by close of day, meet, resolve the issue and then communication to the parties involved.
0: Ghana Education Service refers the case of the eight China Senior High School girls who were dismissed to the school's disciplinary committee following intervention by President Akufo Adu to have the girls or the Ghana Education Service vary. The dismissal punishment handed to them. As you may recall, the girls were filmed, uh, using disparaging words on the president. We will tell you more on this a bit later. And later on, Eyewitness News workers secure a 30% increase in base pay by the ailing, but is the ailing Ghanaian economy able to accommodate this? Reactions on this tonight on Eyewitness News. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on Eyewitness News and in Business.
2: Social Security and Insurance Trust, SNIT increases monthly pensions payments by 25%. There
0: is more in business in, ahead in the bulletin. Eyewitness News is live across the country on all our affiliates and around the globe at citynewsroom.com. Your comments are welcome via our WhatsApp line, zero five four nine nine eight six nine nine six. You can follow me on Twitter at Selom. I do know the hashtag as always is City Newsroom. Now, news we're just getting is that the individual bondholders who, you know, have been given up to January 16 to partake in the debt exchange program have petitioned Parliament. They want Parliament to intervene uh, for them to be excluded in the debt exchange program. Um, I take you through portions of their statement. In fact, the individual bondholders have formed... Two separate groups One is the Individual Bondholders Association of Ghana And the other is the uh, Ghana Individual Bondholders Forum And the two we understand came together uh, To petition Parliament And uh, let me read portions of uh, This to you The Individual Bondholders Forum is a representative body For individual investors Collectively known as individual bondholders In Government of Ghana Local CD bonds uh, Government of Ghana Local USD bonds Esla PLC bonds, DACHI bonds, Ghana Euro bonds, collective investment schemes with investments in the above securities. Um, the inclusion of individual bondholders in the proposed domestic debt exchange program announced on the 24th of December 2022 has been extremely unsettling and catastrophic for our membership and all other or all others affected. It goes on to say we hear humbly petition your office to reconsider your position in the DDE Information Memoranda of 24 December 2022 and ask a matter of urgency grant the following. The inclusion of individual bondholders from the DDE uh, to the exclusion of individual investors' holdings in collective investment schemes uh, affected by the DDE, the exclusion of uh, individual investors' holdings in the ESLA bonds in the DDE, uh, the exclusion of individual investors' holdings in the DACHI bonds in the DDE, uh, and then the fifth, the commencement of discussions and or negotiations with membership to discuss uh, the above. Um, they go on to state their case, and here uh, the first point says that since the commencement of considerations and discussions on government's uh, debt restructuring in. The second half of 2022, individual bondholders have not been engaged in the process. This is at variance with the contractual principles of good faith, fairness, and best practices. The second point says that the social impact of the the domestic debt exchange as currently presented for individuals is the harshest on any investor category and catastrophic to the livelihoods of about 1.3 million direct and indirect bondholders and their dependents. Unlike other investor categories likely to benefit from the Financial Stability Fund, individual bondholders have no support to fall back on. Uh, It further says that we trusted the Bank of Ghana's zero risk rating on government bonds. We chose to invest our strained earnings in government bonds on the back of this trust to provide a security of income required to meet pertinent needs like medication, children's education, and the general welfare of our families. The decision to include the individual bondholders in the uh, domestic uh, exchange program uh, evokes painful memories of loss of many of our members. Uh, evokes painful memories of loss of many of our members uh, in the infamous banking sector cleanup. It will be a sad case for double jeopardy for government to superintend, to pretend a process where ordinary Ghanaians will have to suffer yet again after the recent banking crisis. All right, so we, we go to the phone now to speak to uh, Martin Pebu, who is counsel for some of the individual bondholders kicking against the debt exchange program. Indeed, they have petitioned uh, the finance minister and copied uh, to the parliament of Ghana. Initially, we said they petitioned parliament. They have petitioned the minister of finance. And then copied Parliament majority leader, minority leader, the chairman of the Council of State, Speaker of Parliament, Excellency the President, Excellency uh, the Vice President. Martin people joins us on the line to help us appreciate exactly uh, you know what they they, they they hope to achieve with this. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. It appears time is running out for you and, and government as well. What is this petition supposed to do? Buy you more time or what exactly?
3: Seven. Uh, Let me make the first point, that time is not running out at all. Remember that on the 16th, none of the bondholders will lose their money. No? It's government that's entreating us to join. Government that's entreating bondholders to exchange. So it's not as if on the 16th, if the government doesn't, uh, anybody doesn't sign up, the person will lose their money. No, their money stays intact, except that, From what we've heard, some of the statements from uh, Deputy Minister John Kuma, etc., they're saying that the government may default, meaning that when time is due for payment, they may say they don't have money. If government defaults, bondholders have the right to go to court, right? So let's not make a mistake. Nobody is losing their money on the 16th just because they haven't signed up. So time is not running out for us. Maybe it's for government. It's government that's by now. They will see that time is right now for them and they are not seeing progress. So what we've done this afternoon by going to parliament and then, so let me quickly add, as I stated, we've merged the two groups that the, in, in, uh, the, the individual bond holders association of Ghana, that's the one I'm leading and senior Horses individual bond uh, holders forum. Yeah, we've merged them. We hope that Dr. Eduard and the group will also join so that we won united front. Right. Yeah, so we went to Parliament to see majority leader to uh, ask him to put in a word for us. We've also sent letters to other uh, this opinion leaders, the Catholic Bishops' Conference, 02432, uh, the Council of State, etc. Cetera, et cetera, They are all stakeholders. So the whole idea is to get them involved so that they can put in a word for us and then this matter be resolved amicably so that we don't have to go to court. All
0: right, so when you met the majority leader, he's the leader of government business in Parliament, what did he tell you?
3: So, effectively, it's like, okay, look at it. He, he was also sympathetic to our cause, this is and he has constituents who are also born boldest, right? So he's also feeling it. The majority leader is feeling it extremely, he you knows that he, if he's able to help us to achieve a reversal of the inclusion of these bondholders, his conscience will be very happy, and that will be political mileage for he, the majority leader. So he's also going to put in his best. Yes, he was very, very nice, he was warm, very receptive. He also shared in our uh, predicament.
0: But, but, but Martin, it, it appears that if government excludes Individual bondholders from this Then it it may mean that a debt operation May suffer Initially, pension funds were included uh, Because of the quantum Etc. and excluded The individual bondholders With the advocacy, with the difficulties That the pension funds Had with their inclusion and the Subsequent exemptions, it meant that something Had to give, something else had to Replace that, hence the Individual bondholders Do you not think that exempting you Maybe too much a cost for government to bear, given the difficulties oh. the IMF program is likely to face.
3: Far from it, Salom. So and I mean my words. Far from it. Listen, we don't need these individual bondholders to take the haircut for Ghana to survive. Far from it. Salom, so IMF has not imposed any debt testing program on us. No, they say government should look at how government intends to manage their debt. So Straight away, what we are pointing government to is the budget. Last year, we raised about 65 billion in taxes, aid, aid and grants. This year, we have projected that we will raise 143 billion. Tell them, 143 billion is what we intend to uh, hope to raise this year. Assuming, uh, because it's a budget, we can't raise all. Minimum, we will raise 115. I have cut down from 143, I'm saying minimum, we will raise 115 billion. So let's pay this. $8 billion to the individual bondholders before, so that once you pay this, there will still be enough money for development. So long, if you go into the budget, government uh, uh, hopes to spend about $44 billion on uh, emoluments, salaries, etc. that category, and spend $27 billion on capital expenditure. $27 billion on capital expenditure. We can cut that list. Yes, if for one year we have to cut down the number of roads, in order to pay people, government already owes sobering. That is the dictate of Article 36, Clause 1, and Clause 2e. 36, Clause 1 says that government should develop in such a way that there will be maximum development, but also there should be maximum welfare, freedom, health, and happiness. And also government should take measures to secure the livelihood of the people. And then also take measures to assist the poor and needy. So if the government owes some people, it means that 36 envisages that you pay those people before you do further development. You can't starve those people. You can't kill those people. You can't collapse the businesses of those people in order to go on with your developmental project. No. 36 is clear. It's not even the spirit. Express letter from what I'm saying. You may read it out
0: yes uh, yes doing all of that as 36 has said also means that you know you run an economy that is good an economy that is able to to do all the things that the 36 has said but government is saying that the debt levels are unsustainable and without a form of debt operation they are unable to 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 do that they must pay salaries the, the, the uh, social amenities must be provided people must have good drinking water All these are things government hopes to do with the the revenue hopes to generate this year. And so without the debt operation, it will be very difficult for government to continue running an economy that can pay you your interest on your bonds.
3: (coughs) So It's the same as the last one. So maybe we should repeat the same answer, please. Government cannot be heard to say that people should starve. People should die. Okay, people's businesses should collapse because government is going to do more capital expenditure. No, it doesn't work that way. So let's come back and say, inside the budget, you know that government tends to increase the amount of money paid to the LEAP beneficiaries, that is the livelihood uh, empowerment against poverty. They are mm. going to increase the payout substantially. So, so on, ask yourself, what kind of logic will permit government to take money from individuals, people who have 10000 in bonds, twenty thousand, thirty thousand in bonds. That is the money they used to pay school fees. That's the money they live on, their interest. That is the money they used to buy drugs. That you starve this people, you kill this people, collapse their businesses and take their money and go and give other citizens.
0: But but these other citizens, the lead people are the poorest of the poor. And and I'm not sure all bondholders are are, are this poor. The lead people are the are the indigents in the society. Indigents. They are very, very poor and without Mm -hmm this assistance, they cannot survive. And, and it's the duty of government to assist such uh, poor people to, to survive.
3: Well, Salon, what you'll be doing is what we call in development, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So in your bid to help poor people, you will not h- end up impoverishing other citizens. So you see the problem, the more things change, the more they remain the same. So you take money, staff, these people, remember I've told you that this is the money they used to pay school fees, they buy drugs, etc. This is the money they live on. So when you don't give their money to them and you go and help their poor people, you are now going to impoverish individual bondholders. So you create a problem here. That's not what Article 36 uh, envisages. No, 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 no. That's not what it envis- envisages.
0: There's been a call to everybody to burden share, as the finance minister puts it. What are you... Able to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice? If, if not all the bonds or all your investments, what are you willing to give to this process?
3: What we've already sacrificed is the value we've lost. Have you seen research showing that we've already lost so much value? 50%, some 66%. The mark to market value. The bonds are becoming worthless. We've already lost about 60% of the value of these bonds. That's a huge sacrifice. Number two, We've all suffered through 2022, and the city lost its value substantially. We're living in a cost of living crisis. Prices of food have gone up. So many things have gone up. Everybody is suffering now. So that is the burden we are all sharing. So we don't need to make it worse than it is now.
0: I see. So since you started um, advocating for your exclusion uh, uh, um, in the program. What have you heard? Has government called you to the table? Have you been able to meet any of the decision makers?
3: Yes. Yeah, so we met Majority Leader this afternoon and we presented the, the copy of the petition to him. We're hoping that he will make an input for us. And so that's how we, we, we are handling it. As I stated earlier, we've also sent letters to two four to the no,
0: I I mean the finance ministry, the, the minister of finance. Have you met any of those people who are the decision makers in this debt operation?
3: Not yet. So we send a petition to the finance ministry. They will call us in due course. But we are asking this to talk to the finance minister. You know, so far from everything that you've seen the finance minister is proving to be something, right? So we need this individuals to talk to him it will help
0: in the whole process but is it is it about him being something in your own words or it's about the situation before him and the duty he has as finance minister to ensure that the economy runs well and people's businesses are saved because what's really the point if government excludes you and in the end government is unable to pay and you go to court you 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 sue government and all of that what what, what really will be the point if government cannot really pay
3: Hello.
4: <laughs>
3: Hello you made me laugh. Let me say something. Maybe it's not the best way, but in general, once in a while, you'll see. Salom, I beg, in this particular context, uh, this devil's advocate we are playing, I think that if we continue playing this devil's advocate, it will create a problem. Salom, I've just told you that there is a budget, plenty of money in it. So if we keep saying this thing, that if the government doesn't do a debt exchange. We're going to collapse, And uh, no, I don't think we should support that narrative. Maybe if you have told me that, Martin, it's false. There's no budget. The budget is finished. As soon as we pay salaries, there's no money for capital expenditure. There's no money for contingents. Then I would have fed you. So, so long, let's not repeat the narrative that if the government doesn't do this individuals. Bond uh, extinct, the government will collapse. No, I, 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 I don't. I, respectfully, for me, I don't think that is the, the uh, devil's advocate we be playing. The budget is there. It's a public document. Anybody can access it. You will see capital expenditure 27 billion. You will see uh, this and um, contingency 27 billion. Why is government robbing it to pay poor? I, I, uh, no, no, no. This one, it, there's no. It's not every time there will be a devil's advocate. This one is a one-way street. Government is trying to live beyond its means. You owe people, you haven't paid. How can you say you are going to build roads? You're going to no, 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 no. Sell out,
0: no, no, no. I, I, I see. But do, do you know or do you have any information whether no, any no, of sorry, the bo- I
3: have to run. Oh uh, no, 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 this is the final one. The
0: final one. Do, do you know whether any of the bondholders have? To, well, sorry, Martin, people had to run. Uh, so Martin Pobu is is one of the conveners for the uh, Ghana Individual Bondholders Forum. Uh, he was speaking to us on their petition uh, to the finance minister, and indeed, the same petition is being copied to uh, the Speaker of Parliament, Majority Leader, Minority Leader, uh, the Chairman of the Council of State, uh, the President himself, and his Vice. And he says that they want, or you know, the government of the their submission all along. And indeed, in this petition is that they want to be excluded from, uh, the domestic debt exchange, uh, program. Um, we wait to see what happens. In the meantime, uh, they have up to, um, 16th January. That is Monday to, uh, take up the offer of exchanging their old bonds with the new ones government is, is offering, which have varying, uh, dates for maturity this is eyewitness news we'll take a short break return and read some of your messages and then continue with this discussion with some other persons don't go away eyewitness news be there as it happens
5: Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News.
0: Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Um, A lot of your comments have been coming through. uh, A few of them. Uh, this one from Nutifa from Ketu South says government only seeks to unleash pain on its citizens via its domestic debt restraction program. Uh, share incompetence. You see, you say, uh, Jones Adobo says, Good evening, It's not fair for government to include individual bondholders against their will. You can't create your own mess and be forcing people to clean for you. Fix it. Uh, let me speak to. An economist who, who understands this matters very well, uh, Dr. Edu Owusu is an economist with the University of Ghana. He joins us on the line. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Government is giving the domestic bondholders uh, up to Monday to take up the the offer or to exchange uh, their old bonds for the new ones. It appears that individual bondholders are quite obdurate in 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 their resistance to what government is seeking to do. So now, they have petitioned the, the finance minister for their exclusion uh, uh, um, in the program. What else can government do now that it appears that the domestic bondholders will not budge?
6: Well, um, so long, this is a very difficult conversation to have, and I think that uh, no individual bondholder wants to lose his money. Uh, the government also wants to pursue this to have the IMF program. However, because the government was able to, in this initial um, case, they were able to exempt the individual bondholders. That was the initial proposal. So it presupposes that the government had an options to consider. Uh, but it did not also succeed with the pension funds. But the pension funds and the individual bondholders are not the only options on the table. So, uh, so that if the government is not able to get individual bondholders. Remember that the key word here is voluntary. The government is not forcing the individual bondholders. The argument is voluntary. And the voluntary means you should be able to convince the person to buy in. If you're not able to convince the person, you cannot force the person. And so then you then have to look at the other options. Uh, We know the other options, the commercial banks, the insurance companies. uh, Obviously, it's also not palatable to them. So I want to really admit to government to focus on then the common framework by the g20 because in my view that will bring much relief uh in terms of this debt restriction that we are talking about ghana owns about 28 billion dollars external debt and then the common framework can really you know get up to fifteen billion dollars because we have one point seven billion from china one point nine billion we own, nine point one point nine billion from the paris club three point two billion from the other commercial international commercial banks and then eight point three billion from the multilateral corporation giving us fifteen billion dollars so if government is able to start with what they can start with from the domestic fund and is able to succeed with a G20 common framework, which will give us up to, up to, I'm not saying all the 15, so up to $15 billion. And I don't think they will not even need the individual bondholders. They will not even need the pension fund. So uh, my humble appeal to government is to really try and pursue the external debt relief from the G20 common framework.
0: But is that the same common framework that countries like? At Zambia have done, and and it hasn't been very good for them because it's taken a long time for them to get a relief. Is it not the same common framework?
6: Well, we are different. Uh, the countries are different. Uh, Ghana um, seems to have some favorable, uh, you know, condition in terms of the geopolitics of it. Um, we seems to the the IMF or the other British institution seems to be very intentional about this country. Uh, they, they wouldn't want Ghana to sink. Uh, that, uh, if you judge from the, their posture and some of the interviews you have granted to even your own Bernard Avle, I got the impression that they are really willing to help Ghana and to prevent our economy from sinking. So the two countries are different. Our conditions are different. Uh, our geopolitics are different. So uh, we can, Ghana can really try and pursue that. And I'm sure we will be successful and then that will bring an end to all these uh, uh, things going on because, to be frank with you, it's not easy to save your money and lose it. The individual bondholders, majority of whom are pensioners and all that, nobody wants to lose their money and therefore if there's an avenue which, will, which we can explore as a country, then we should explore it. The fact that Zambia or Chad or Ethiopia has not been successful, that's not mean that Ghana will not be successful. And like I said, the conditions are different, and I think the government of Ghana should really pursue that. As for the domestic funds, let me come back to the domestic. It is not the case that they shouldn't do anything at all about the domestic debt, because even if you want the external debt relief, they want you to see uh, some commitment from the domestic fund. So the individual bondholders are not willing. They can exempt them. They can exempt their pensioners and probably talk to the commercial banks and other you know, institutions to see if they can buy it voluntarily. And then they pursue their standard debt relief. And I'm sure that, uh, well, let's pray and hope that Ghana is successful. Because at the end of the day, all we want is for Ghana to secure the IMF program. That is how, that's what has brought the, all this conversation. The Ghana wants to secure an IMF program. And then the condition for the IMF program now is to have some assurance from the creditors that they will buy into this uh, debt exchange program and bring Ghana's debt to a sustainable level. When I did my own calculations, the 15 billion, the up to 15 billion dollars that a government may be able to, you know, get cancelled amounts to 55% of the external component of debt and 30% of the total uh, public debt. So it's really huge. And, and that's where, in my view, my humble opinion, I think that's where the focus must be.
0: Yes, but, by the common framework, we are not actually sure when, when, when we can, you know, uh, get the, the relief we want. Others have said that if we do not get this IMF thing going by March, you know, the economy will really be on its knees if it's not already on, on, on its knees. You, you also talk about the government concentrating on the banks and other bodies. The insurance companies have also raised some concerns. It means nobody really wants it. But taking the individual bondholders out, and taking the pension funds out that will leave a huge hole in the 137 billion or so uh, debt that government wants to to exchange that may not achieve the purpose of 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 the debt sustainability that government wants to do with it
6: that's 13 billion out of 137 so uh in my view i think that there's a lot that the government can explore the other avenues that government can explore because uh you can correct me or listeners can correct me i know it's about 11 billion from the pension funds, and also about 8 billion cities from about 4,000 bondholders. So if you put the two together, it's about 19 billion out of 137. So it it shows that there are other areas that the government can explore, and they have to. I think the the push of government too must be right, because it's it's somebody's money. And so if you have gotten to the point where you're facing difficulties, the conversation must go on, the the interaction must go on, the negotiations must go on. The engagement must go on. Uh, we can pick examples from Jamaica. When Jamaica did their debt restructuring or haircut, as you may call it, the, 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 the government was successful because they got a buy-in of the citizens. And in Ghana's case, it seems to be very difficult for government to get the citizens along. So, uh, it's, it's, it's all, all hands on deck, as, as we call it. If government should explore, ah, Venice, try to convince people if the bondholders want to be exempted, yeah, you can exempt them, but you can, you know, strictly still talk to the commercial banks, the insurance companies, the need for it. But I think I like the, the way you put it that if government doesn't secure the IMA program in this first quarter, things may get worse than this, and it is true. As We have gotten to the point where <clears throat> the only savior of our, this economic crisis is the IMA program. I think all Ghanaians must understand this, that we need the IMF program to rescue this economy, stabilize it. Of course, one would say that, why, why did we get here? Yes, we have messed up as a country. We've messed up and gotten to this point. And we can't throw away the baby with a you know, dirty water. I think we have to take away the baby and throw away the dirty water. Mistakes have been made. Exactly the point.
0: point. Yeah. So you also talked talk about the posture of government not being right. People think that, People, a lot of people think same. But now, looking at government's posture and looking at some things government can do on its own to, to cut down expenditure and even raise revenue, people think that government is not listening or government is not, you know, uh, uh, being empathetic <laughs> to their cause and they are not working the 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 way they want others to work so for example we continue to have a, a very big government people have said that as a way of showing the people that we are in a difficulty cut down the size of government we have not seen that you know uh, some expenditure you, you may call it not so important expenditures or expenditure should be uh should, should be halted we've not seen any of these Yet government is going after individual bondholders, trying to persuade them to voluntarily exchange their debt. That posturing from government appears to be the problem as well.
6: Yeah, it is one of the problems. And I think the posture of government must be right. I started the fact that uh, Jamaica was successful because the citizens supported the government in its debt restructuring. Uh, Ghanaians must support the government of Ghana. To secure this debt restructuring and also secure the IMF program, and if Ghanaians are asking the government's posture to, to be right, if Ghanaians are raising one, two, three issues uh, for government to do before they can also support the government, I think the government must listen. Uh, government should be able to listen to Ghanaians and, and, and then also get along, uh, because governance you know, and political economy, as you may call it, you always need a buying of the citizens, and if you don't get a buy-in of the citizens, uh, you may suffer along the way. So yes, the pressure of government must be right. Some of these government expenditure, the size of government, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, that many funders have raised. I think, at least, if, if it is not the amount, just send a good signal. You see, if you reduce the ministers from, say, 20 to 15, and, and it is not really about how much you have saved, but it's really about the fact that you are listening, you know, to Ghanaians, and you you want somebody's pension, you want somebody's bond, uh, want to give a haircut, and you must also burden share, as the finance minister always says. So the burden share agenda must really be deepened, and the government must be part of this burden share. You've listened to people on radio you watch television, you talk to academia, you talk to media people, everybody seems to be concerned uh, about some of these things that they want the government to do, reduce the ministers, do this and do that, even if you don't want to do it. But the fact that you need uh, the buy-in of the bondholders, you, ha- you even have to do it, even if you have to do it just for just one year, and then you secure the IMF program, and when things come to a good level, when the economy recovers, if you want to go back to the number of ministers, yeah, you can go back. So I think that the, the posture must be right. Uh, and of the day, whatever the government must do, they must do it to ensure that their posture is right to get every Kenyan along.
0: How about government talk? So, for example, the president in, in his uh, economic recovery speech said that there will be no haircuts and that individual bondholders or individual investors will not be affected. Now there is haircuts. Individuals are being affected. That is a problem. Number two, finance minister said that nothing will be missing. In fact, he quoted scripture in First Samuel and said that nothing was going to be missing, no matter how small or great. Now, it's obvious that the haircut is happening, and that is people losing things. There appears to be an issue of trust and the difficulty in how governments communicate and what government, in the end, does. How does government resolve that trust lacuna?
6: Yeah, trust is a very important issue when it comes to debt restriction. Um, uh, First of all, let me make you, my my initial position about debt restriction is that I was never, ever for any haircut. If you listen to my interviews across or before this, my position was that not many countries have been successful with any haircut of that sort. And therefore, if there's any other option to pursue, the government must pursue it. Apart from the haircut, because the economic, social, and political consequences of a haircut are there. You mm-hmm. know, people will not trust you again, they will not lend you their money again. You know, the way people even express it in a local language, you know. So I have, you know, even written the whole paper on this that not many countries are successful with a haircut because nobody wants to lose its money. If the government wants to do that, if uh, the president said it, because the president, of course, the president said it, and then the individual bondholders were exempted. But I think that after the the government was not successful with the pension fund, that's when they included the bondholders, and still the individual bondholders wants to be exempted. I think the finance ministry and the minister and government machinery, government communication machinery, should, should you know, be, should, they should deepen negotiations. They should be able to explain, uh to to Ghanians, the need for all these things, the pros and cons, the benefits, the costs, all involved. Uh it, it's difficult at this time, uh, that the, the government but they have to they don't have to they don't have to relent on their effort to win the trust of Ghanaians. And that that's that brings us back to our earlier conversation that you want Ghanaians to support you and Ghanaians are saying do A, B, C, D, and then we can support you. And you should do that to send a good signal to win the trust and the confidence uh, of, of Ghanaians. And, 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 and no, like I said, nobody, no, no many countries have been successful with haircuts. And and that takes me to my earlier conversation that if things become very tough at the domestic level, then the best option for government is to seek the debt cancellation from the external level I mean,
0: from the June 20 common framework. I, I see that, that may take time, though. But a, a final, a, a final one uh, before you go. The IMF has an office in Ghana. The IMF may be listening to all that is happening in Ghana on the individual bondholders front, etc. What should government be telling the IMF now that it's appearing difficult that the debt restructuring, as initially envisaged, may not be be going as planned? What, what should government be telling the IMF right now?
6: Well, I'm not sure what the government should tell the IMF. In any case, IMF did not come to Ghana. Ghana went to the IMF. So if you have come to me for help and you still feel that you are not well prepared for my help, I don't need to tell you anything. You have to, you know, come and then, you know, come when you are prepared. And so, well, we wanted the, all of us, IMF Ghana, Ghanaians, all of us wanted the IMF program in the first quarter of this year. And the prerequisite is to get a Domestic debt, you know, to get assurance from the creditors. If you are not getting the assurance, all you have to do is to wait till you get assurance. Because IMF is telling you get assurance. If you are not getting the assurance, you are not getting the program. And if you are not getting assurance, the only option left is for you to still wait and negotiate and work things around to get assurance of the creditors so that you can secure the program. So, I think this is, this is this is for government, for the Ministry of Finance, for the Minister, for government machinery, communication, and all hands on deck, media, academia, we should all work together and make sure that, you know, we get this uh, debt restructuring through and then secure the IMF program. Because the bottom line is that Ghana's economic situation is in challenging situation, position, and we need the IMF to rescue it. And I think we must all understand this, that if we don't get the IMF program the first quarter of this year, things may be worse than we are seeing now.
0: Are we able to get that program before the first quarter of this year closes? Given all that is happening,
6: there are other avenues when it comes to the domestic front. Uh, if you can, you can exempt pensioners, you can exempt the individual bondholders. They're still left with uh, commercial and insurance companies to talk to, and, I, and I've also indicated that if they are able to, if they are successful with the commercial, you know, domestic or domestic debt restructuring and Going for the G20 from framework, it's very likely that we can still secure the IMF deal by the end of March. It's very likely, but we just they just have to put in more effort uh, than what they are doing now.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Edu Oususako, the economist with the University of Ghana. Thank you so much. This is eyewitness news um, coming to you live from our studio at number 11. Dr. Martin Lupin, Adabrakana Some of the messages that have been coming through Zale's doing in London said so this government has failed us uh no long talk. Uh, Daniel Atia in Dansoma says good evening Salam. the Nanado led government should leave the already overbearing pensioners alone. The 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 burden shared sharing should start from the executive first. Uh Kikuin Lapar says salam. with all due respect the government should cut its ministers to nineteen and presidential staffers to two hundred to restructure their debts. Uh Emmanuel in Tadi says, good evening Solomon I don't understand the worry around a 30% salary increment given to workers. This same economy can afford as gratia for the executive legislature, etc. But not a poor, hardworking civil or public servant, really. But we'll get to that later. Uh, Prince Henry in Koforia says, Good evening, Salam. Charity, they say, begins at home. So why is the Nanado baumia led MPP government not cutting down its elephant-sized government before trying to give the uh, ordinary Ghanaians a haircut? You say that's very sad. Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. We'll take a short break. Return and deal with matters of education and base pay. Don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
5: Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News. On Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ct97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ct973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash ct973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News.
0: Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM, some information just coming through. The President of the Republic, Nalodankwa Kufodu, has tasked the Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, the Honorable Samuel Abu Jinapo MP, to assume responsibility for the Ministry of Trade and Industry with effect from Monday, the 16th of January, 2023, pending the appointment of a substantive replacement for the outgoing minister, Mr. Alan Tremantin. If you recall, um, in the statement acknowledging or accepting the resignation of Alan Chamantin, the president uh, had designated Ken Oferata finance minister, to be caretaker of the Ministry of Trade and Industry. Uh, there, were, there, were, there were quite some concerns or uproar about it. And now we see the president telling us that uh, he has asked Samuel Abu Jinapo, uh, minister for uh, now lands and natural resources uh, to assume responsibility for that ministry until uh, a substantive replacement uh, for the outgoing minister is made. Nothing has been said about Ken Oferata, but of course this simply means that his caretaker role uh, will no longer happen or will be curtailed. For now, from Monday, Abu Djinapur, uh, Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, will be caretaker minister for the trade Ministry. Well, now let's get back to education. Let's get to education now. And as you may well be aware, the president again intervened um, after the Ghana Education Service handed down, or through the school, handed down a dismissal punishment to some eight female students of the Chena Senior High School. The students were seen in the video they filmed themselves um, making comments some have described as disparaging or insulting, uh, at the president. And so the school, through their disciplinary procedures, decided to dismiss the students altogether. The president intervened and, uh, has asked the ministry or the Ghana, Edu- of course, as a ministry of education to work with the Ghana education service to find alternative, uh, punishment for the children and not to dismiss. First 1 to that has released a statement and that statement seeks to explain how the uh, alternative sanctions will have to be uh, meted out to them. And so I read uh, the statement from the education ministry re-president uh, intervenes in disciplinary action taken against eight students of China Senior High School. It says that the management of the Ghana Education Service refers to the above subject matter. The affected students were dismissed based on a recommendation from the school's disciplinary committee. Thus, management has referred the matter to the school's disciplinary committee to explore alternative sanctions other than dismissal. In the meantime, the statement continues that the affected students have to report to the headmistress of the school for further directions. It says the management acknowledges the interest of stakeholders in ensuring that these students are reformed in the best uh, possible way. So, um, And the statement has been signed by Cassandra Chuma, who is head public relations unit of the Ghana Education Service. One group that, has also been, that was concerned about the uh, dismissal, handing down the students, was the uh, minority group in Parliament. And their ranking member, uh, uh, the Hon. Peter um, you know, was concerned, really, and now that the president has intervened and, and, and asked them to find alternative sanctions, uh, to, 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 uh, rather than the dismissal, let's speak to him and see, uh, what he makes of the president's decision and what, in his view, the alternative sanctions, uh, could be as the school's disciplinary committee, uh, sits on the matter again. Hello, good evening, sir. Welcome to Eyewitness News. Honorable uh, Kotoy, the president indeed intervened and, and for, for a lot of people, it is rightly so. What What is your initial, what do you make of the President's intervention? And also, what do you make of people, of, of comments, that suggest that the President's intervention in matters like this uh, makes the Ghana Education Service or bodies, uh, you know, mandated to deliver such, you know, instructions uh, weak, and, 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 and that may not be good for uh, the education of our kids. What do you say?
7: Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, good evening. Yeah, first of all, let me say that um, I appreciate the president's uh, intervention to mitigate the punishment given out to the eight uh, students of a China Senior High School. Uh, this is because uh, the minority referred that uh, the punishment was uh, too harsh because punishment is meant to correct. So if uh, you want to punish somebody, correct the person, reform the person. So there there are opportunities to reform these children or students uh, because uh, we don't know what they will become in the future. So I want to thank the president for listening to us, Uh, not only the minority, but to all other Ghanaians who uh, said that the punishment was too harsh and uh, it should be looked looked at um, differently. So uh, thank I thank him very much. But uh, what the GS has done, uh, I think, is also proper by referring the matter back to the school, because my understanding is that it was the school that recommended the the dismissal. Uh, first of all, the GS would have even thought through the dismissal uh, recommendation first before even writing to the students, because uh, uh, they did what was wrong anyway. But uh, some of these actions. We have stages to go through. So I think um, if I were in the shoes of uh, the school authorities, I think suspension will be a better option for these uh, students. Once they are suspended, it is in their record, and uh, they will know that uh, next time when any student behaves just like them, that person will not go free. The intervention... Uh, I don't think it's going to break down discipline. Uh, if, let's say, the students are being suspended in the first place, I don't think this cry to the president to intervene would have come in at all. Yes. So suspension, I think, is a way for to serve as a deterrent to others. Because I don't think any student from now just is thinking that the president will intervene again. As a minority to we will not come in and say that, oh, because of this, uh, they have done it for somebody, so they should do it for a third person or a third group of persons. No, we will not come in in that way. And we really just want to remind the school authorities to that uh, there are other ways of exploring punishment for students for misconducting themselves. I, I should then think... also Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Um, finally, when... Um, the school authorities recommend any other punishment. There's one other thing that I would like the president to do again. That is inviting these eight students to uh, meet with him, for him to talk to them so that they will know that uh, as a father of the nation, he intervened just because he did not want their education to be truncated. And if this is done and... Students all over the country uh, see it. They will know that uh, tomorrow, if any of them does this again, they will not have that opportunity to be treated like that.
0: They but that would be glorifying what he have done. No, the president, no, in all be, these no, difficulties, no, believe, economic difficulties, no, things is having no, to think about.
7: No, he will not glorify it. the way you will talk. Should to have, to call, we'll have to call. Will no, have to call these students. There.
0: Yeah, to, yes. Talk and and talks about, you know, they, they've seen a lot of talking already. We understand there'll be counselors assigned them and all of that. You know, mm-hmm. calling, the president calling them to crowd to sit with them, to have a chat with them, it may be, it may even be attractive to others to want to do the same no. thing. So they are giving no, similar uh, treatment.
8: Depending on what
7: the president will tell them. You see, some of these things, when a child is his, a father calls him and says, look, you have done this. This is the consequence. I don't expect you to do it again. Do you see? And at times, you see, they can become agents of change, having that opportunity, although they had uh, misconducted themselves. As a fact, that you call your child after you have punished punishing, him, and then admonish him, advise him. Then his siblings, so you call them and say, look, if you do A, B, C, D, the punishment that Kofi went through. You also go to
0: the same thing, but that is left for the president to decide anyway. I I, so, I see, I see. Yeah. But what what uh, really what 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 is the code of conduct? I, I'm sure the Ghana Education Service or the schools, for that matter, you know, yeah, should they have, have their code of, code of uh, conduct, which uh, yeah. comes with yes. sanctions for defaulters, etc. I'm not sure yeah. what the, the the code of conduct actually says about misconduct like this does it recommend straight or does it recommend dismissal? Or do you think it's Uh, because of the personality of the president brought into it that made them go this far? Because insulting people, even though it is very bad and abhorred, I'm not quite sure it, it attracts dismissal.
7: No. It does not attract dismissal. But because of the personality involved as the president, if it were any ordinary person, probably would have been punished lightly but uh, or maybe suspension would have been the highest punishment for that offense. But uh, in any case, because the president was the target or was the person being insulted, that's why they took that decision. But we're saying that uh, where well, the students misbehaved, they disconnect themselves. But I think the punishment could have been suspension and that would have ended it over
0: there. So, but, yes, we, we, uh, we also because of the personality, yes, we also and, understand uh, that, yes, we also understand but, that students are not supposed to be in school with mobile phones and 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 some of these gadgets is it is it um, a weakness in supervision that we see students these days with smartphones you know recording themselves in their dormitories in schools like this one or it is just that you know things have changed times have changed and so we 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 have to relax those rules
7: we may need to look at that uh, regulation or uh, instruction again because in as much as school authorities are trying to forbid students from uh, taking these mobile phones into the school they are doing it so can we regulate their activities as far as the uh, use of uh, mobile phone is concerned Do you see because I know school authorities they have tried but they are not succeeding and people visit students and before you realize they give these uh, gadgets to them and then they will hide them in the dormitory. And you know the house ministers or the house master cannot be in the dormitories with the students 24 hours. So uh, as society, we need to look at it again. We need to have it because we have tried and we are not succeeding. So there's a need to look at it again and say, okay, let's allow them to have it. Uh, they, they may need it for some uh, assignments and all those things. But how they use it is a problem we are going to face. Because the way they have used the mobile phone to record themselves and then put on social media, uh, is not the best. So they need counseling very much on use of a uh, telephone in schools. And so there's a lot we need to do, uh, going forward and see how best we can, uh, teach or counsel these our students to use uh, the mobile phone. Because the law is being flouted or the instruction is being flouted by students and people aid the, the students to flout these uh, regulations.
0: Very well. Thank you so much. The Honorable Peter Nochukoto, ranking member on the Education Committee of Parliament. Thank you so much for speaking to us on Eyewitness News. Now, a labor analyst, Austin Game, says the 30% base pay increase for public sector workers may lose its value if Ghana's economic situation is not stabilized. Government, after nine meetings with organized labor agreed to increase the base pay on single-spine salaries of public sector workers by 30% from January 2023. Organised Labour, f- who from the onset of the negotiations uh, demanded a 60% increase, said their, quest, their request was necessitated by the current economic situation. However, speaking to City News, Austin game says, looking at the current inflation and other economic conditions, the agreed base pay increase may lose its value. If you project that we have uh, currently
4: uh end of year fifty four something percent being inflation and not knowing what the consequences will be on all of us from economic point of view. Uh thirty percent is a compromised figure. It may not be, if things go haywire, it become useless. Nonetheless, it will serve a purpose. Uh, that's why I believe organized labor was uh, a little bit more uh, vociferous about it, not wanting to hear to, if you record, at 60, he you went to 65 before descending, uh, it's part of the strategy, all right, but they were also being uh, uh, truthful because. Uh, traditionally in Ghana uh, we pay inflation we pay cost of living that is what we do uh, not necessarily based upon real sharing of data on the economy
0: Meanwhile, Austin Gami believes uh, government coffers may be affected following the decision to agree to the new base pay rate so,
4: yes. uh, Any 1% I guess covering well over 700,000 people. Only 1% could result in in, in, uh, a a huge chunk. Uh, That is a true position.
8: That is why
4: what are we deriving out of all this? It's not even about government. It's about the people who
0: pay for the services of the 700,000 and over. So, you had Austin Gami, is a labour analyst. Eyewitness News on ninety-seven point three, City FM. Now, Shika Caesar joins us with the latest in the world of business. Hi, now.
2: Hi, Salom. <laughs> What's in business? In business, the Social Security and National Insurance Trust, SNET, has indexed monthly pensions upwards by 25% for the year 2023. This was done in consultation with the National Pensions Regulatory Authority, NPRA, and is in line with Section 80 of the National Pensions Act. Accordingly, the highest-earning pensioner, as at 31st December 2022, will receive almost 170000 Ghana cities per month in 2023. The lowest earning pensioner is that as at 31st December 2022 will have his or her monthly pension increased from 300 Ghana cities to 430 Ghana cities in 2023. Director General of SNET, Dr. John Ofuri Tinkran, has been explaining what went into the upward adjustment
1: Uh, and joins us to consider a few factors when we are doing the indexation. Uh, They ask us to consider the wage growth of the contributors who are on our pension scheme. Uh, At the same time, we should also look at our liquidity, uh, which informs our ability to pay when payments come due. And then they also ask us to look at CPI, which is inflation, uh, price inflation, and uh, the long-term sustainability of the, the scheme because this scheme is supposed to be there in perpetuity uh, to be able to pay these benefits when they do come due. So after juggling uh, all these and massaging the numbers and, and looking at the dislocation uh, that have occurred in the macro economy in respect of inflation, which has basically skyrocketed uh, beyond the imagination of, of most of us. Um, we eventually came up with an overall indexation rate of 25%, uh, which means that the cost of pensions in payment last year, uh, we're going to calculate 25% and add it uh, to the cost of pensions this year.
2: That was the Director-General of the Social Security and National Insurance Trust, SNET, Dr. John Ofori-Tinkran. Now, the Automotive Assemblers Association of Ghana has revealed that, so far, close to 5,000 locally assembled vehicles have been produced since the introduction of the automobile policy in the country. In 2020, the Ministry of Trade and Industry launched the Ghana Automotive Development Policy to guide the development of a vibrant auto automotive industry in the country, addressing the media on the sidelines of the inauguration of the Ghana Automobile Development Council, President of the Automotive Assemblers Association of Ghana, Jeffrey Oponpepra noted that a full implementation of the automotive policy and the introduction of an auto financing scheme would grow the locally assembled car market.
8: Since the introduction of the Ghana automotive industry that is the latter part of 2019, 2020, COVID, to date, we have 4,700 vehicles already assembled and pushed into the Ghanaian market, as well as also some gone for export to neighboring countries such as Ivory Coast and Senegal. And this constitutes over 9. 9.7% of our new car market uh, numbers because uh, from statistics Ghana we have a new car mar- uh, n- market or a car park of about 12,000 at the moment but we have already produced our assembly for 4,700 uh, units it's a mixture of assemblies since we started video view as a key we jump on it so
2: That was the President of the Automobile Assemblers Association of Ghana, Jeffrey O'Ponpra. Away from that, the Ghana Revenue Authority has indicated all entities within the financial sector have been connected to a common platform to monitor electronic transfers that attract e-levy charges. This comes in the back of the revision of the e-levy from 1.5% to 1%, which took effect on January 11, 2023. Speaking to City Business News, Opoku Ifriya-Santi, member of the E-Levy Committee of the Ghana Revenue Authority, said the connection will make electronic transfers more accessible. Currently,
9: the GRA has a platform that we call the Kuban Platform. And what this platform does is that it connects all the uh, platforms of the various entities, uh, that is the banks, the mobile money network operators, and the various payment service providers, as well as the, um, savings and loans companies, the microfinance institutions and all those, uh, charging entities. This common platform connects, uh, the systems of GRA to that of the charging entity so that whatever transaction that is, uh, passing through the GRA's common platform will be assessed to know whether or not e-levy should be charged on an individual's transaction. So when you make a transfer, an ordinary transfer to a colleague or a friend or a loved one, what happens, the background is that that transfer is routed through the GRS common platform.
2: Opoku Santi is a member of the E-Levy Committee of Ghana Revenue Authority. Finally, the General Secretary of the Agricultural Workers Association, Edward Kariwe, has expressed disappointment over the decision of the President Ikufado to name Hawa Kumsin as the caretaker minister of the Food and Agricultural Ministry following the resignation of the Ministry f- of Food and Agriculture, Dr. efui President Ikufwado appointed the Minister of Fisheries and Aquaculture, Mavis Hawakumsen, to supervise the sector until a substantive replacement is made. However, in a City Business News interview, General Secretary of the Ghana Agricultural Workers' Union, Edward Kariwe, said they are not impressed with the President's choice.
6: Selection. How not serious we are about the sector. This is a minister who was in charge of the One Village One Dam project. That whole project is a complete failure. So why do
3: you then add to somebody whose performance in a smaller area
6: was not impressive? The sector over a period now has not been able to deliver on this mandate. This is a sector that is so critical to the survival of millions of Nigerians. If this is what the sector is, and it has failed to deliver on its objective. When the previous minister was there, one thought that this would be an opportunity for His Excellency the President to put somebody there that who can inspire, inspire confidence, power from some appointment. This is disappointing. I don't
3: think many Guineans are happy.
2: That was the General Secretary of the Agricultural Workers Union of Ghana, Edward Kariwe. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank.
5: Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ct97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ct973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash ct973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News.
0: Eyewitness News. Be there
9: as it happens.
0: This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News My name is Selom Adunu. Tonight on Point Blank The minority in parliament Says government's 1D1F policy Does one district one factory policy Has been a complete failure Despite spending over 10 billion cities on the projects The group says the intervention has failed to tackle the unemployment situation bridge the gap between agriculture and industry, and cut down on imports as promised. Here's a ranking member on the Trade and Industry Committee of Parliament, the Honourable Emmanuel Ama-Kofibua, addressing the media today.
5: The One District, One Factory Programme is an initiative, is a key component of the uh, government's industrial transformation agenda. The concept was first introduced by the Ministry of Trade and Industry and the presidential initiative, uh, special initiative, uh, by this administration, as part of uh, an integrated program for accelerated growth and in industrial development. It was originally designated as a rural enterprise development program, which was later rebranded as the one dis- uh, as uh, the district industrialization program (DIP). It was designed as a comprehensive program for rural industrialization involving the setting up of at least one medium to large-scale factory in each of the administrative districts in Ghana. And ladies' agenda is very, very important. The initiative was originally conceived to make sure that we can have one medium, small to medium factory in each of the administrative districts, roughly about 260 districts in Ghana. There are a number of claims that have been made about this program since it started. Um, This press conference is to share with you the findings of the analysis we have taken the trouble to go through to basically take out the politics and make sure that we can really do a very objective assessment of this program so that we can engender broader discussion. Let us therefore look at each of the key objectives of the 1D, 1F policy, in which is the focus of the program, and see whether these objectives have been met, or is being met, or has not been met at all. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to state the objectives. The whole idea of making sure we have one district, one factory, in every district in Ghana was that, we are going to try to make sure we have even and spatial distribution of factories across the country. One of the critical reasons was that, you know, once we have jobs in every corner of this country, the rural urban migration will stop. The youth, wherever they find themselves, will work. So we are going to try to target, to make sure that this is done. At the end of the presentation, what we want to see is that, is this really address the issue of this uh, even and spatial distribution of factories? After seven years, one of the other goals was that there will be massive employment. Once we have this factory, there will be massive employment. And this analysis will see whether we have really seen improvement in employment since we started this program, or we have not, or it has even gotten worse. The other very important objective was that we are going to ensure value addition to the things we have comparative advantage. We know the things that God has blessed us with. And we had all agreed that we needed to add value to make sure these are products that we can really have value. And in adding value to it, we are creating jobs and empowering our people. So that was one key objective. We will see in this study whether indeed this has happened. The fourth objective was to make sure we substitute for, we have substituted for imported goods. We all know the the challenge we have. Almost 95% of everything we use in Ghana is important. And its implication on our forests, its implication is really damning. So anytime uh, we have issues with forests, it affects everything. And so this was an attempt to really try to address that as the fourth objective. Have we been able to address that after seven years? Then as we do that, the last object is that this is really going to help us to increase foreign exchange earnings. Of course, if we have added value and we have our exports are increasing we are going to have foreign exchange, which will ultimately help our country. How have we done after seven years? so ladies and gentlemen, I want to start with the first one even and special distribution of our the third the first objective was, was to ensure even a special spread of industries and thereby stimulate economic activity and growth in different parts of the country. According to the 2023 budget statement, we are told that we have 296 1DNA projects that are at various stages of completion. A total of 126 of these projects are operational. While 143 are under construction and 27 are pipeline projects. The data we will share with you at the end of the presentation will show that even if the 1D wonder exists at all, if they exist, about 70% uh, 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 70 of the industries are located in in the regions, uh, greater Accra region, Ashanti region, and quite frankly, the Eastern region. And I'll give you specific numbers. The data revealed that 76 of the projects, of the factories, are located in Greater Accra Region, followed by Shanti Region, which has 54 of the factories, while the Eastern Region has 37. However, Savannah Region has four projects. While Northeast and Otu Regions have three projects, in fact, the other regions, quite frankly, are so minimal that you can't even talk about it. So really, the objective of making sure we can have special distribution is clearly not met, as you can see. And in fact, what must be added is that if you talk about the greater accuracy in 76 factories, these factories we are talking about, our government moved the goalposts from building brand new factories to basically going to existing factories and saying that we are going to support you with exemptions and other support. Can we name you one D1F? So, quite frankly, the 76 and the 54 factories, majority of these factories we are talking about are not brand new factories. But in fact, there's some factories that we have pumped money to. And as we go along, you will see how much money. I can tell you, for example, that we spent 2.6 billion on what the government called, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Subsidies. uh, uh, Subsidies to subsidize some of these uh, factories. we also have spent money on stimulus and exemptions in the billions of Ghana cities. The other second objective, so clearly the first objective was spatial planning. If you look at what I've told you, completely a failed one. The second has to do with the fact that with 1D1F, we're going to have mass employment. Massive em- employment, and sure. The first object, this was to create massive employment, particularly for the youth in rural and peri-urban communities. Thereby improving income levels and standard of living, as well as reducing rural urban migration. However, the World population and housing census data shows that only thirteen point eight percent in rural areas are employed. Thirteen point eight percent of the rural and urban areas are have employment. So, as you can see with this data, we have not made it, with the majority outside the labor force. Therefore, it is difficult to see how this objective is being achieved. Another f- critical finding worth it to note is that, according to the 2023 budget statement, there are 16 government flagship programs for 2023. And this is very interesting. After all the massive investments, first year, second year, to the seventh year, it is as if the government basically has said that the one year, 1F, after we spend over 10 billion, has failed. So we are no longer going to spend money. Why do I say that? If you look at the 2023 budget, the total amount of money that government is actually applying to its flashy program is 9.2 billion. And I'm talking about all the different programs, or Batam and all of the other programs. Only 2.2% of this amount is going, which is 203 million, is now going to 1D1F. It is as if the government says we are winding down on one D one F. So the point here is that the fact that government did not basically has started basically starving the program with money that after seven years are like a clear indicator. But also the data also shows that unemployment is actually going up. And I'll show you another that that, that that point to that. For example, in twenty sixteen, under the before the N D C level of office And this is very important in the face of the fact that they are saying that 266 factories have created 160,223 jobs. This is is really what is important. In 2016, before the NDC level, the unemployment rate was 5.5%. In 2021, with this program, with all this money we've thrown at it, a huge investment, unemployment has risen to 13.98%. Unemployment was 5.5% at the end of 2016. After six years of 1D, 1F, unemployment rose to 13.98%. And this is the, the, the National Census' uh, own statistics. Clearly, the issue of creating unemployment under 1D, 1F has also been a failure. The other third objective was that the 1D, 1F will really create value addition that will empower us and basically get us to basically export these products. However, the data shows otherwise. From 2018 to 2022, 46% and 41% of the stimulus package were allocated to agro-processing, chemicals, and pharmaceuticals. And this is very important. We are adding value to the things that God has given us that we have comparative advantage. Look at our focus areas where we have actually pumped money to add value. It is in agro-processing, chemicals, and pharmaceuticals. While 7% went to livestock, plastics, and packaging, electricals, and electronics and garments and tessers only got 1% of these allocations. Or are stimulated package response. This clearly contradicts the objective of adding value to our natural resources based on comparative advantage. This means that there is no significant impact on the value addition to our natural resource in 2018. And this is another very important number that we have to take note. In 2018, uh, in 2016, be, before the NDC left of the office. of the total exports were non-traditional products, goods. 20%. In 2018, when we have started 1D, 1S, where data is available, it had dropped to 18%. How do you explain this? Or, let's even look at our import bill. When we reduce our import bill, It means that we are exporting more. We are adding value, right? But this is another important data that will surprise you. In 2016, our import bill, yes, it was high. was 20.6 billion, Ghana City. By 2018, with 1D1F, our import bill had increased to 26.91 billion, Ghana City. Is this a sign... That we are really making progress with value addition as has been really envisaged under 1D1F. So, again, when it comes to the issue of value addition, the 1DNF has also failed completely. The other fourth objective had to do with substitutes for imported uh, goods, which is really follows from that. The fourth objective of, of government's high policy of 1D1F was to enhance the production. Of local substitutes for imported goods, thereby conserving scarce foreign exchange. Surprisingly, imports of local substitutes such as rice and sugar have continued to skyrocket, skyrocket since 2017, with the focus showing that the same trend will, will continue in 2023 and beyond. As you know, it was the vision of His Excellency John Mahama and the NDC to change this trend. This is why President Mohammed constructed the Commander sugar factory to save some foreign exchange. I also contribute uh, to really strengthen our city. Seven years in power, what has happened to President Mohammed's uh, Commander sugar factory? We are aware that the foreign company is now taking over and refurbishing it. But it's too late. I mean, but let's ask some serious questions that follows from there. The current troubles with the city alone show that this is an abysmal failure. There is no production of local substances and there is no conservation of scarce foreign exchange. And let me give you some data that has really come out of our, our research. We are importing 4.21 million, metric tons of, uh, 4.21 million metric tons of sugar and 10 million metric tons of rice in 2022 alone which indicates that nothing has changed. In fact, in the 2023 uh, uh, budget statement, the Minister of Finance indicated that we spent $10 billion on imports. So when it comes to this issue of uh, substitute for imported products, we have failed as well. The data... Revealed that the one d one is not bridging the gap between agriculture and industry. While agriculture is projected to experience growth in 2023, 2024, 2025, and 2026, in and beyond, industry is projected to drop deeply. And if there's no gap being bridged, it means we are not adding value, we are not going to subsidize product, we are going to be where we are. A clear indication. That the 1D1F, after we've thrown so much money, has failed in this area as well.
0: So, you had the minority rank, the ranking member on the Trade and Industry Committee of Parliament, Honorable Emmanuel Amako Fibua, addressing the media on the 1D1F policy. He thinks that it's been a complete disaster after spending 10 billion cities on the project. So that's how we conclude today's edition of the program. We've we'll been live from our studios here at number 11. Dr. Martin Lupin at Dabra Kainakra. The show has been produced by Beverly London and Zoe Abubeidu. Daniel Squashy provided technical assistance. Earlier, you heard Nashika Caesar. My name is Salon. I don't Adonu. Make a date with me tomorrow on the big issue at 9 a.m. on the same dial. Up next is Sports Panorama with the boys. Have a good evening.
1: City News, we
0: speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City97.3 FM and on Twitter
7: at City973.